so when I first heard your your podcast, your misfit podcast, you know, I'm a white heterosexual woman. I have a ton of privilege. And I was like, I, I don't think I'm a misfit too much. But then I reached out to you kind of reflecting on I had a pretty unconventional upbringing and some pretty traumatic experiences because my dad uh, is and was an alcoholic. Hi, Annie here. Today's episode is a bit unique in that it's a little less about identity and more about a woman's experience with anxiety and trauma and how she has learned to work through that. I still think it's relevant to the theme of misfits because my guest today, Claire, is so reflective on how these experiences have shaped her and continue to impact her life. Sometimes, you know, in academia, I feel like a hick or I feel like this person that is white trash. I, I call myself redneck intellectual white trash academic because I have this history of, of trauma, of low-income people and alcoholism. And so there's these, these lines of trauma that I had to come to terms with in early college and, and now. Stereotypes don't tell the whole story. I'm your host, Annie Prafke, and you're listening to Misfits, a podcast featuring discussions with people who felt like black sheep in their communities because of their identity. is a public health student at the University of North Dakota. She was born in Pittsburgh and spent her entire childhood in North Dakota. She's a Midwesterner through and through. As far as like culture, very Midwestern, you know, bring the tater tot hot dish, don't talk about hard things, stoicism. I come from a long line of really strong women. A big thing is young Logan, don't think you're special, work hard, be humble, and then you die and take care of other people. Claire's parents worked a lot. Her mom is a nurse, and her dad was a U.S. federal agent. He's retired now, but we're not going to mention the specific agency for confidentiality reasons. All throughout my childhood, I knew other people might need my parents more than me at times, so I was totally fine with, you know, my parents not being at the swim meet or the belling bee or wherever. It goes without saying that nursing and police work are stressful, but Claire's parents tried to keep their work life separate from their family life. When they're living out in Pittsburgh, my dad um, did a lot of undercover work, so he couldn't even discuss it, really. And they tell a story where my mom was working in the cardiac ICU, and she came home with blood on her scrubs, and he came home with blood on his clothes, and they just looked at each other and said, hard day, and moved on. While both of her parents were busy, Claire saw her dad a lot less than her mom growing up. She says her dad often worked three to five days a week outside of Fargo, the city where she was raised. She didn't know anything different, so this seemed perfectly normal to her. Growing up, I really didn't care too much. I always joke with my mom that people would be like, oh, where's your, where's your dad? And be like, I don't know, he left Tuesday. And then my teachers would call my mom thinking they had like marital problems or like my dad left or like, because I was just so nonchalant about it. And I was never very close with my dad, really ever. We're very similar personalities. We're both the challenger and a roommate. We both have anxiety and our very type A personality. So naturally, we, we clashed a lot. I remember there's an instance where he spanked me, I don't even know what for, and I spat back in his face. 
during the week, my mom would raise us the way she wanted to raise us. And then she'd go work on the weekends. She worked nights as a nurse at the time. And then dad would raise us. And that looked very different. He had very strict rules. And as a teenager, that's very difficult. On weeknights, I couldn't go out after 8 p.m. unless it was for school or church. So I was in three Bible studies. As a federal agent, Claire's dad worked on some emotionally charged cases, including investigations involving kidnappings, sex trafficking, and mass shootings. Heavy stuff, to say the least. According to Claire, repeatedly seeing humanity at its worst, combined with a Midwest flavor of toxic masculinity that discourages talking about one's feelings, led to a lot of bottled-up trauma. It just seen so many hard things, just trauma and trauma and trauma for him. And, and I know he's like me and he really cares. I think that really got to him too. And I think that's a really big thing with burnout we're seeing with, you know, nurses and physicians now is you really care about your work and you come home and, you know, you see patient after patient after patient. And, and of course it's traumatic. He, he was passionate about his work, but, you know, I think as we're realizing with policing and the prison system as well is it's really broken. So that system of oppression and I'm an abolitionist, so, but uh, that system of like oppression and, and, you know, just putting people back in and they come back out and, 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 you know, the paperwork he had to do, like it just, it's the same with medicine, you know, we're trying to figure out a better way to do this because the system was, was crushing. While things weren't exactly ideal at home, Claire says it wasn't until her high school and college years that her dad started abusing alcohol. But there were signs that it was coming. She says he frequently drank after work, usually beer. Claire thinks this was his way of coping with the never-ending stress of his job. It was a reward for a really hard day. Then he went to Iraq. That changed him. According to my mom, it didn't really start until he got back from Iraq. He brought back pictures of, like, Saddam Hussein's palace, and there's, like, blood in the pools, and that's where they would slaughter people. There were clearly very traumatic things he saw, but I don't... Finding more about my dad's trauma is another thing. In 2009, Claire's dad volunteered to assist in the Iraq War as an explosives expert. His job was to pick up shrapnel to investigate what bombs were made of. It was a risky job. But it also paid well, and Claire's dad saw it as a way to help him pay for his kids' college. At this point, Claire says the drinking became regular, and occasional beers turned into daily hard liquor. Claire noticed her dad's personality also changed. He seemed angrier. He would snap at her for small things, like shutting a door too loudly, or setting the table the wrong way. At this point in my life, you know, I'm avoiding him as much as possible. I would go to school and get home around six because I'd either be in sports or I'd lift with the football team or honestly find anything to do to get me home later. And then I'd go to Bible study three times a week at 8 p.m. My senior year, I went to every event I could possibly find that was affiliated with school because I was aware he was in law enforcement and, you know, was like, well, I can't just blatantly lie. Because of the instability of her home life, Claire didn't feel like she had much control over anything. This eventually led to her developing an eating disorder called bulimia, which is characterized by binging large amounts of food and then trying to immediately rid it from the body, commonly by forcing herself to vomit it up. 100% my eating disorder developed because I, and, and this is a really big reason people do become bulimic, is just lack of control. 
you can't control your environment. I couldn't control my environment at home. You can't control your outcomes. You either don't feel autonomous or you have this trauma and you don't know what to do with it. And then usually there's something that sparks it. And so for me, that spark was I was becoming really, really lactose intolerant around eighth and ninth grade. And so when food was making me sick, I, you know, obviously had a decreased appetite. I didn't know what was making me sick. The one thing my dad was always, you know, when he was drinking or whatever, was that we always had family dinner together and you finish your plate. You you be grateful that you got a meal. So then for, for meals, he expected you to eat the entire plate, no matter what it was. That's when it started. Cause I'm like, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get up in the middle of the night. I don't know what's making me sick. I don't know what food's making me sick. So I started binging and purging and it quickly just turned into, this is the only thing I can control. And so you'll eat and eat and eat until you're just like overstuffed. And then you'll purge it up and there's like a release with that. And, you know, like you finally, oh, you got it all out. Like literally it's an analogy for getting out your emotions. Claire says her eating disorder continued through high school, but it got better when she left her parents' house for college. She felt like she had more agency in her life. College helped Claire in many ways. She learned more about herself, got some distance from her family, and sought out some pretty amazing opportunities, including an internship with the National Rural Health Association, where she compiled data for a bill that former North Dakota Senator Heidi Heidkamp wrote. But while she was at the top of her game academically, this is also when her relationship with her dad was at an all-time low. That summer before, I think my 22nd birthday, he called me. He didn't wish me happy birthday. But I think, you know, it was a really hard time between him and my mom. And he called me and said, I'm an alcoholic and started crying. And I let him have it. Fuck you. You know, fuck everything you've done to me. Like, I can't do this. Do you remember this, this, this? You know, I was, I was really lucky growing up that there wasn't a lot of physical abuse, but I still could count the number of times on my hand where I was either shoved or shaken or grabbed and that left a bruise mark. So just saying like, I absolutely hate you. Like, and how dare you call me? How dare you call me before my birthday and not even wish me happy birthday? Claire didn't talk to her father for the rest of the summer. But then he had an awards ceremony from the law enforcement agency that he worked for. He was he he's like, well, I don't want to go out and get that and get that award. I hate Washington, D.C., blah, blah. I'm like, well, I'm here. So you're going. And that was a pretty bonding trip. I mean, he he always had a ton of awards for his profession, and I've always been proud of his profession. And so not only see that, but after that argument happened or like we, you know, finally the it's a cat's out of the bag that this is an issue of his. And we were sitting in a restaurant and this woman's coming in the door and she has like a baby stroller and is kind of struggling with that in the door. And just like, I immediately get up to help her open the door. I'm super Midwest, super polite. My dad got up at the same time to do the same thing. And I was like, you know, maybe those values I have and the way I act and the things I hold dear and you know, how I treat people, I never thought that I attributed that from him. So I'm like, maybe I'm similar to this guy than I think.
the thing that really catalyzed, I think, him to really cut back on drinking was I had this partner of five years and I think towards the end of our, the relationship, we were realizing, you know, we wanted different things. I wanted different things with my career. It was long distance the entire time. And towards the end of this relationship, my partner had started to drink. It quickly became a problem for them, uh, their drinking. And so I had no idea. So for six months, I didn't know about this. And then I found my partner pretty much passed out or inebriated. And I came home and I was like, my partner did this. Like I, you know, it's like having the rug pull out from under you. Like you think, you know, this person so well. And, you know, clearly I, I was not a very good partner at the time either. And my dad was like, oh my God, he's like, I would have never, never have guessed. And just with how crushed I was, like, I think it just like awakened something in him. And I hopefully think he was like, you know, my kid keeps getting hurt by, by alcohol. In the past few years, Claire says her dad has done a lot of work on himself. She, in turn, has been attending therapy and reading about trauma to process her own childhood wounds. I didn't find out about a lot of his trauma until I started going to counseling and colleges when, you know, I, you know, started taking psychology classes and sociology classes. And, you know, this past year, kind of with COVID, a lot more literature about trauma has come out, too. And I've just been more aware of it. After graduating with a degree in public health education from the University of North Dakota, Claire spent a year working at the American Indian Public Health Resource Center. She says learning about health care inequities, as well as generational trauma in Native communities, helped her reframe problems in her own family. Because of the history of genocide against Indigenous peoples, I learned so much about generational trauma and epigenetics and how that affects your DNA and affects your mindset and how trauma is passed from generation to generation. And a lot of really great research about those things comes from, you know, Indigenous researchers. So I am totally indebted to that. And that year onward is when I started to think, like, what did happen? My dad retired after my senior year of college and is much more about open about his career now. And whenever I sit down with my with dad, I, I try to get new stories out of him because there are so many that, you know, we had no idea about, or I'd say I had no idea about this, or I was sharing with him that I was a resident assistant. And he shared with me that when he was a resident assistant, he had to cut down a student who hung himself. He was the one that had to do that. And then another time he told about another student who jumped off a building in front of them to complete suicide. And I'm just like, my God, like layers and layers of trauma. In addition to we knew and and know and his, his siblings are pretty open about this, that the home they grew up in was quite abusive. You know, he'd kind of laugh about it, but he'd tell stories about like, you know, he was the fourth child and they never really held him. Or my uncle would tell a story about how my dad really never wasn't a very talkative kid, but he knew how to like avoid my grandpa hitting him. None of these things justify how Claire's dad treated her. But Claire says knowing more about her father's upbringing and his experiences has helped her to understand where he was coming from. In addition to psychological turmoil, Claire attributes her dad's alcoholism to a larger social issue, unhealthy drinking culture, which is especially glaring in the Midwest. According to the CDC, North Dakota is one of the states with the highest prevalence of binge drinking among adults age 18 and older. And it's evident in daily life. I grew up in the same city as Claire. In my neighborhood, three people I knew died alcohol and or drug-related deaths during my childhood. 
and there were others, like Claire's dad, that I knew, but whose battles with alcohol were well concealed. We especially don't talk about alcohol abuse. Like, drinking is always funny. You know, it's not bad. We, we don't talk about that. I had a classmate who interviewed to the medical school that I'm at, and she chose not to go there. But in her interview, they asked her about, like, what you're passionate about or something. And she said, I'm really passionate about destigmatizing addiction. And they kind of laughed at her. And they're like, oh, yeah, I know I have a problem. And she was like, I don't want to go here. Claire also has anxiety, a trait she shares with her dad. And as she came to understand what triggers her own anxiousness, she began to get a sense of what might have been going through her dad's head during her teen years. The first time I felt anxious was when I was going to pre-K. And I said, Mom, my chest hurts. Mama, my chest hurts. And she, and she took me to the pediatrician. The pediatrician's like, your kid is anxious. And I've been on an SSRI since middle school. And I mean, my dad's been on SSRIs probably when they first started coming out, he's a very anxious man. And the thing about anxiety is, it's also a really weird superpower. So like, if I can tell something unsaid is happening, I, I can tell immediately looking at you, and it's going to eat away at me. And so I can't be around you. I can't be in an environment where, you know, there's just like passive aggression, or there's like all these weird vibes. It makes you keep your antenna up. I learned, again, from unpacking trauma and therapy in college is that I take in a lot of sensory information very quickly. I grew up and I was very socially anxious. I got overwhelmed really easily. And my dad is the exact same. He's the exact same person. I'm curious, as someone who is aspiring to be a doctor, which, of course, is a job that can bring a lot of trauma and stress and anxiety, are you nervous about going in knowing this family history and knowing your own personal history? And how do you think that you're going to cope with those stressors? This is actually the second time I'm doing my first year of medical school. My first year was supposed to be right when the pandemic started. So already I'm frazzled. But my, my mother's family of origin, her, one of her siblings has significant health problems and those problems came back. And you know, every patient I saw, I was seeing this family member. This family member had the same pathology as my cadaver. And that's when I was like, I need to figure out how to deal with this because as someone with like, I don't know, anxiety or like some people say like empath or like you just have like, you just have spidey feelings like you. And I think it's either because you grow up in trauma because the Zodiac says so. I have no idea. But you you just are, your antenna is bigger. And because of that, my dad has always said, you know, you're like me. And when you're like me, you're going to see shit people don't see because your A, your eyes are open to it, and B, people know your eyes are open to it, so they're going to come to you. A lot of broken people are going to come to you. I decided to restart and do some master's in public health classes last year, and that's when I was like, if I'm going to do this, I need to figure my shit out because I can't just be one big trauma bomb, which is definitely a thing, and I have done in the past. I mean, because you're traumatized, you traumatize other people, and I wish I could take that back, but I certainly don't want that to happen to my patients. So I spent... The better part of that year, not only in therapy, but reading books on mindfulness in medicine or burnout in medicine. And it's not necessarily separating yourself, but again, learning to 
the difference between compassion and empathy was really big for me because empathy is feeling those person's feelings exactly as as they are but compassion is being able to separate yourself so it's not only less paternalistic but there's less enmeshment which is also a therapy term and really important as well so you're not enmeshing yourself in the situation you're not centering yourself and you're not taking on those issues but you're sitting with that patient saying i absolutely see you i will sit here with you and work with you and then also a lot of reframing for me as well, which is a really good therapy technique where I say, oh, this patient reminds me of my loved one. But be able to say, my mind is reminding me that this patient is like my loved one. What a blessing to remember to treat all my patients like family. Claire says she has a much healthier relationship with her father now. She thinks a big reason for this is because while she was going to therapy and learning about trauma, her dad also made the decision to start processing his own baggage. She says today he's warm. He's willing to express his emotions. Claire can tell he really wants to get to know her. I got into medical school and for the first time he said he was proud of me. And now he's, you know, even more affectionate or says I love you often. And I, I think he's honestly going into grandpa mode too. He's excited about gardening. And I'm like, this is the guy that was undercover in a biker gang? Like what? So we are actually currently a lot closer than I ever imagined I'd be to him. I mean, I always said, he's not walking me down the aisle. He's not even coming to my damn wedding. Like, you know, I truly loathed this man. And a big part of how we got to be where we're at is both of us working hard and both of us reaching out. You know, it wasn't me just working on myself, but it's him working on himself as well. Claire says being closer to her dad has influenced her desire to study Native American health access and equity. It was also that year that I was doing an Indigenous health graduate program. And when I did that, people were like, why? Like, you know, what does that have to do with anything? But my dad worked with tribes and tribal law enforcement and going between state and tribal law enforcement for 20 years. And as an honorary brother of two nations in the state of North Dakota, and that is a part that I've always been very proud of him. I wanted to go down this road and learn about people who knew this good side about him and this part of his life that I was proud of. And I knew it was something to connect with him on. While he has come a long way, Claire says her dad continues to struggle with alcohol. He's never going to be completely sober. I mean, he, he's absolutely, you know, from a medical standpoint, like cannot. I mean, his body would not be able to function without it. I think when he tries to cut back too much, we can tell he gets a little bit irritated, but does start to tremor. You know, I'm not hoping for total sobriety in him. Yet, Claire has noticed an overall change in her dad. He retired from being a federal agent a few years ago, and he now works in parking enforcement, which is a lot less stressful. When he was working undercover or dissecting bombs, Claire was well aware, as I'm sure he was too, that he might not come home that evening. I mean, my brother and I have talked about it, and we're like, we didn't expect him to make it till 60. Like, between drinking, his job... And just like the situations he puts himself into, you know, seeking out very dangerous situations. When he was a contractor in Iraq, his job was to pick the shrapnel out of things that have already exploded and see what they're making these explosives out of. So I'm like, yeah, so something could be totally undetonated. He's like, yeah, no, I got it. That's me. Or he like would tell a story about in order to like when he was undercover if people were meaning to question like his story or anything like that he'd wrestle the fight dogs like just absolutely insane i don't even think i want to call it bravery but like br brazen disregard for like 
I think, his own life. And I think I can relate to that. Being someone with trauma and trauma from him growing up, I didn't give a shit if I lived or died, you know? Like, I, and I think that's, you know, where self-harm comes from as well. Now, Claire's dad acts like he has something, or someone, to live for. And so does Claire. So after that happened, like, I'd be, like, washing dishes at the sink. I lived with my parents um, that first year of grad school to save money. And he'd, like, pat me on the back and be like, it's going to be okay. Thank you for listening to Misfits. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow us on Twitter at ACXPMisfits and on Instagram at ACXPMisfits, where you can also send us a message with ideas for the show or let us know if you or anyone you know would like to come on as a guest. We'd love to have you. Special thank you to Gabe Fordunker for providing the music in today's episode. Gabe is also in a band called Hawthorne Park, and their music can be found on Spotify and Apple Music. I will put a link in the episode description, and you all should definitely check them out.